The class of 2001 was hailed with a storm of lighting of fury on their entrance and exit for West Point. Graduating 101 days before the tragedy of 9-11, the class of 2001 served as junior military officers during the initial phases of the war on terror and increasing positions of influence over the next 20 years. Bound together for four years in school and together in service to our nation and their communities, these are the stories of those graduates as we look through the grave. On this episode of Through the Gray, we'll be speaking with Trey Sales. Trey's father graduated from West Point and served as an engineer professor on faculty. West Point was a constant feature in her childhood and her family, but it was always an opportunity, not a requirement. Trey made the decision to apply to West Point and the commitment to challenge herself and her potential. As she continued in service, Trey's network of friends and family gave her the freedom to test herself and her limits without fear of failure. That freedom continued after her transition to the business world, where she earned her MBA from Harvard and left an established and comfortable company to grow with a hungry upstart. This is her story. Through the Gray has its first sponsor, Urban Industrial Northwest. Urban Industrial Northwest is owned and operated by my childhood friend, Greg Hostetter. Greg and I grew up playing in the woods and hit each other with sticks. I joined the military and Greg joined the trades. We both love the outdoors and the Pacific Northwest. Please visit his site and see the amazing work he and his team are creating. Urban Industrial Northwest is a furniture and fabrication company specializing in handcrafted products using heritage lumber deconstructed by architectural salvage companies from structures dating back to the late 1800s to early 1900s. Everything from their powder-coated hardware to their top-selling reclaimed wood desktops are carefully constructed by their team in shop to create one-of-a-kind statement pieces for your home and office needs. Check them out on their Etsy store, Facebook, and Instagram, or give them a call at 360-703-6936. And mention this ad for a 20% military discount on your order. And to top it off, shipping is free straight to your door nationwide. Urban Industrial Northwest, giving wood a third life from tree to structure to an awesome piece of furniture. Welcome to Through the Gray. We're speaking with Trey Sales. How are you doing today, Trey? I am great. Thanks, Joe. How are you? Excellent. So why West Point? Yes, it's actually an interesting story. So my dad is a grad. He's class of 73, uh, proud and the free. So I kind of grew up knowing that. <laughs> And he did 34 years of active duty, was a professor at West Point, was um, head of the EECS department while we were there. So kind of grew up at West Point, around West Point, as well as, you know, in the Army while he was on active duty outside of being an academy professor. Um, there, I have two other siblings, an older sister and a younger brother. And there's this running joke in my family that one of you is going to West Point, <laughs> And uh, I'm not sure if I drew the long straw or the short straw, but I kind of was more inclined uh, personality-wise, kind of interest-wise to pursue West Point um, than my siblings. And so uh, I remember I was in high school and my dad came home, and we lived at West Point at the time, and my dad came home from work and said, 
I brought you home a present. And I was like, oh, well, this is interesting. Sure, great. What is it? And it was an essentially an admissions packet <laughs> to West Point. That was my present that he brought home for me that day. Uh, and it had all like the, you know, the physical fitness test, the medical document. It had the, it was the entire packet that, that you get. And I was like, okay, uh, there's no harm in applying. And that's kind of the, my philosophy with a lot of things. It's like, there's no harm in applying or trying. Maybe a fit, it may not, but let's see kind of what, where we land. Uh, I also was interested in some civilian schools. Uh, so my family, we are residents, or my parents essentially are residents. Their home record is Virginia. And so it was really kind of two choices. You kind of go to, a, go to West Point. It wasn't the Naval Academy or Air Force Academy. It was go to West Point or go to a school in Virginia um, because the in-state tuition. So I applied to Virginia Tech. I applied to UVA. Virginia Tech gave me no no dollars. <laughs> I did get a full full ride to UVA and visited both campuses. Blacksburg's beautiful. I love the location of UVA. I um, was more drawn to UVA, and so I was like, I think I may go there. But then, like this kind of pool for West Point was also there, um, and I remember distinctly. This is a memory that's permanently ingrained in my in my brain. I, you know, did all the requirements, did the, I think it was the PFT or whatever it was called at the time, or the, whatever the physical fitness test is uh, as a cadet candidate. I uh, did all the medical screenings, had my wisdom teeth pulled because apparently you can't go to school with wisdom teeth, <laughs> and kind of did all the box checks, got the presidential nomination because of my dad's grad, he's, you know, active duty, all of that, and um, did the overnight, even though I had lived at West Point as, you know, a child, as, a, as in high school, did the overnight, kind of went through the full process and um, put my, the little acceptance or the confirmation in the mail uh, for West Point. Uh, and then I remember, you know, and I, and I was okay with the decision. And then I came back down the next morning and the confirmation had been taken out of the mailbox and put on the kitchen table. And I was like, what's going on? And my mom said, I, I want you to feel sure about this decision. What do you want to do? Like disregard all you know, family pressure or whatever expectation you think there is on you. Do you want, this is your decision. Do you want to go on this journey? Do you want to go to West Point? Not because your dad, not because of anyone else. Is this what you want to do? And that, that moment where she kind of took it out, and I didn't see her, I found out the next morning, but took the, the postcard or the, the envelope out, and then kind of set it back in the house for me to really sit with this decision. And is this what I want to do, where I want to go, the journey I want to go on? Like that just, I don't know, that just has been a super impactful moment in my high school life of just kind of, this is your decision. You're not doing this for anyone else. And I kind of apply that to my life moving forward. Like these are my decisions. You take other people into consideration, but essentially your journey is your own. Uh, and so that kind of was my first inkling of that or experience was that was was the decision to go to to West Point so I kept it out for that day <laughs> and then the next you know kind of again this you're like what 17 years old so you're not even fully mature at that point but you kind of go through whatever thought process you have as a high schooler uh, and then I put it back in the mail the the following day and you know went, went to, to West Point um, I will say also Joe that I, I had a unique experience or insider scoop to some degree um, with going to West Point. So I know some folks attend and it's extremely jarring or they had no idea. I've heard that from classmates. They had no idea kind of what West Point was or what they, the full scope of what they were getting into. 
Um, but I kind of knew, I had glimpses of it. So I went to, um, my dad was a grad, he was Corps of Engineers, you know, moved, I was born in Germany, kind of moved over all over a bit. Uh, but then he went back uh, to West Point, I believe as a captain. So I was in preschool, kindergarten, first grade. I did at West Point Elementary. Then we moved away and then came back in the sixth grade. And I was there from sixth grade through high school. So very familiar with West Point and the community there. Uh, we, my parents had sponsored cadets at both stints when I was you know, in preschool first uh, through first grade at West Point and then sixth grade onward. So I had been around cadets and they, they had kind of become un, or informal big brothers, sisters, mentors, proxy family members throughout my kind of upbringing. Um, still like keeping into contact with my parents, many of them, many I, are, I keep in contact with as mentors. Some of them have helped me with business school applications uh, and transitioning from the military. So I've, I've been around the elements of the core cadets, West Point, the West Point community throughout my you know, upbringing. So it wasn't uh, it was a natural selection for me. It's still, you know, it's jarring because it's West, <laughs> it's West Point. You go through what you go through, right? But it was, I, I was more aware of what I would be experiencing. So I found comfort in that uncomfortable <laughs> experience at times um, because I was aware. Um, so that's kind of the story of why West Point. And of course, you know, once I submitted my confirmation and all that, you know, my, my dad was over the moon and making all these references to the, you know, the West Point saleses and all this stuff. Or, or, so it's, it's, it's been an interesting, even now, it's been an interesting connection that I have with him um, that's unique to us, just, you know, he and I, but, but also um, just the, the greater West Point community is just kind of who have always been a part of that community, it feels like. Was there a time as you as you applied and then got in and started to experience it, where you doubted uh, either yourself or that decision? Yeah, great question. Yes, uh, it was <laughs> plebe year. Um, I think that's for many of us. Maybe have might have questioned our logic. Uh, it was the holiday break, Christmas break, and I was home, which was up the street. <laughs> <laughs> in Lusk neighborhood, right? So I was home off of like, you know, whatever was that main road, Lee Road or whatever the road was. So I was home and um, my dad's interesting, you know, he's an interesting guy. So he, it was Christmas morning, so, you know, however much time we had off. So I was at home and my family, some of the family members have come to visit. It was a really great break. Uh, but I was like, man, like, I, I don't know if I made the right decision. I have friends, high school friends who are at, you know, name the university, having a grand time, you know, doing all these extracurriculars, traveling, um, finding themselves, participating and going to concerts, you know, living life, experiencing social activities that weren't afforded to us, at, you know, for sure, please, at, at West Point. Uh, and so there was a period of weepiness and tears to my mom that like, I don't think I want to go back. I don't know if I made the right decision. decision. Uh, I was doing well academically. I actually did really well plebe year uh, academically. So it wasn't like this, the content or the curriculum was too hard. I just didn't know, like, am I missing out on something, right? Like, I'm here trapped in this gray environment. Am I, and I see, you know, here, I have letters from, talking on the phone to my friends, and they have all these rich experiences. Uh, did I make the right decision? 
And of course, my mom is like, well, you can always go to UVA, you know, whatever you want to do, just an ever supportive parent. And uh, <laughs> my dad, on the other hand, he's a funny guy, he's a funny guy. Uh, I remember coming down on Christmas morning and uh, his grades, his transcripts from first semester plebe year were posted and my transcripts from first semester plebe year were posted on the wall of the like the living room. And um, he, he did beat me in some classes, but I actually beat him in a couple classes, which did feel really good. Um, but, but, you know, and so he asked me, you know, it looks like you're doing great, you know, how's West Point going? And I, um, I, I didn't go into the emotional detail that I did with my mom, but I was like, yeah, I don't know if this is the right, um, you know, environment, if this is the right decision for me. And he respected kind of my feelings, my sentiments. Uh, but one thing he did say is, essentially you, you you're not committed until you know that first class <laughs> of you know cow year you're not committed to west point so you can ride it out plebe year is the is the hardest you can ride it out and see um what you if you're still feeling like this you know six months from now eight months from now a year from now and then you can make the call or the pivot uh, if you just are absolutely certain, because I wasn't certain that it, I made the wrong decision. I just was having, you know, kind of, I was questioning to your point, I was questioning myself and is this the right thing for me? Uh, and then also, you know how we had our little bank accounts, right? Uh, at West Point. And so uh, apparently he also told my mom, I'm going to transfer some money into Trey's account. because <laughs> He was bribing me to stay. <laughs> so I'm not like the daughter who quit. I don't know. I'm tongue in cheek, but, but I did have suddenly like $500 <laughs> in my account. And it, I don't think it was from Santa. So, uh, so it was, they understood. Again, my dad had experienced it uh, many, many, many years ago. And it was you know, arguably much tougher environment, harder environment. And so it's, uh, obviously I stuck it out, but I think for me, the support where I could either way, like my parents are fine, I'm fine, like what's the right decision? So that autonomy that they gave me to kind of work through what I was experiencing and make the decision, an informed decision, not a gut or a knee-jerk decision, but give it some more time. It's the first handful of months course it's going to be challenging is it always going to feel this way and the answer was was no uh, and then you know i decided to, to to stay and continue on um, but there was it was that that christmas break for, for plebe year where i was like no get me out of here <laughs> so so just a, a follow-on question there um my father-in-law was a vietnam vet mm. and after i came back from my first combat deployment we didn't have a lot more to talk about than we talked about before but the relationship changed did the relationship that you had with your father change as you progressed through West Point and you have those similar touch points, those similar reference points that only a West Point grad could have? Yeah, uh, yes, that is um, that definitely happened and continues to happen as I kind of progress through other elements of my my career. Um, I, I would say it brought us closer together, like we had more in common. Right. So um, I would say we had like a traditional <laughs> my dad at times the household felt like it was running like a unit. Right. <laughs> like like a company or a platoon. Um, you know, there were because my parents were pretty strict. Um, there were like high expectations, also loving. But, um, you know, there was, there was a lot of no nonsense kind of in, in my upbringing um, where the you know, parents were in charge and then the children fall in line. 
Uh, what's interesting is with the West Point connection, I feel like my dad had like a newfound respect, if that makes sense, like a newfound respect for what I was capable of or what I can accomplish um, because it is a very challenging environment. It's not a <laughs> traditional college experience. Um, but also he would ask like for my opinion, which, you know, usually he maybe asks another adult's opinion, right? Like my mom or a colleague or one of his friends, whomever, or, or you know, a peer officer. Uh, whereas he would ask for my opinion. And I remember one of the first times he, we were sitting, um, we were, we have family dinners at time. We were sitting at family dinner and he asked me, well, wait, let's hear what Teray thinks about, you know, X, Y, or Z. And I'm like, hmm? <laughs> he wants to know my opinion? Because <laughs> again, it was like, it was kind of the, the parents and the kids. There was that hierarchy there. And so he starts ask, you know, he began to ask me for like what I thought my, I became a thought partner, <laughs> not just like his daughter that he's proud of. He's proud of all his kids. But I became like a, a thought partner and we talk about, you know, articles in the Army Times or we talk about different decisions made at West Point or current events or, you know, now my dad, you know, loves Amazon, uh, probably as, you know, the consumer. <laughs> so we talk about like things he'd hear in the news about Amazon or is this true or what are your thoughts about that? What's the direction? So it's our conversation uh, and interactions have become enriched um, and the relationship has changed in that regard. It's just, it's not just parental um, where there's that respect for your children, your parents, um, that love there, but it's more so, um, hey, this, this, person can now contribute to my, you know, intellectual discussions and conversations and viewpoints. And let me learn from you, you learn from me. So it's more of an ideation and intellectual exchange uh, that has evolved from, from kind of that West Point experience that we share. That's awesome. Um, so academics and major uh, at West Point, why'd you choose the major that you did? Yeah, I did engineering management, and you know our like sequence <laughs> that we have um, at at West Point. Um, I did double E, so yeah, so so with the engineering management, and that was, if I'm not mistaken, Joe, I think that was a newer um, major. Like it hadn't always been there essentially, so I think it was a newer major. But what I liked about that, I like the engineering piece. I, I like the analytical, tangible. That I really thrive in that. I'm not necessarily a philosophical or theoretical or a touchy feely. Not that there's anything wrong with those majors, but that's just not how I'm wired. Even in high school, like I did I excelled in all the sciences and the math. So that's just where my brain functions best. Um, I didn't want to be like a hardcore engineer. I wanted to see if there was a major that married like the softer skills, um, so the management skills with the hardcore engineering foundation. And so uh, that's what I found uh, engineering management to be at, at the time. Um, and then for the sequence, uh, I true statement, I literally only picked it because of Andre Sales, my dad. He was the, <laughs> he, that's his, you know, he's the, was a professor in EE. He, um, was the head of the department uh, and, you know, has PhD in photonics, all like super smart, eat doubly, and it's very practical. It is practical. I was initially leaning towards civil or mechanical engineering, again, that like hands-on um, engineering. Uh, but my, my dad had said, what are you going to, what are you going to do with, you know, civil engineering? You know, <laughs> so he's like, doubly applies to every aspect of life. And I'm like, okay, does it? Uh, and that, you know, physics was, again, I was obsessed with physics. And he said, physics is 
just the same almost as double E, you know, <laughs> again, all these <laughs> falsehoods I was being fed. So I went into double E. Uh, I didn't have him as a professor or anything. So there was no like lines crossed. Uh, and I still got a C in EE like 302. <laughs> so I'm like, this is the worst decision. This track has essentially tanked my GPA. I should have gone with, you know, mechanical engineering or something I you know, understood a bit more about. Um, but that was why. It, it was that, again, that connection there of, of double E and, and my dad. And um, that probably was the wrong, literally that was the wrong decision I should not have done. <laughs> it just wasn't, I wasn't super excited about it. Like civil engineering, yes. Mechanical engineering, yes. Double uh, E, I was like, eh. <laughs> But I, I went with that. Uh, so that's probably my one academic regret is I should have picked a different track. What did you get? the most out of while you were there? I mean, obviously the relationship with your, your father and your, and your, mm -hmm. your family stayed pretty tight while you're, you were at West Point. Mm -hmm. What else kind of helped encourage you and grow you while you were there? Yeah. Uh, great question. The, I'd say one thing that I have not necessarily even overcome, but I'll give you an example. So I was deathly afraid of heights. And so much so that, you know, I did competitive cheer in high school and, you know, you the, the cheerleading, you go sit on the bleachers, you know, watch the game after you're done cheering for whatever game or, or whatever competition you're in. And I could only, like in my brain, I could only get to the fourth row of bleachers. I could not go any higher without like trembling or just kind of having some sort of anxiety, not knowing that's what it was at the time, you know, as a teenager, but I, I just couldn't. And so my friends would sit up at the higher bleachers you know they always used to sit up at the top and like look down i could not like i literally could not go up that high without you know someone <laughs> I, I i just couldn't do it um so like that's the backdrop and then at west point you know we had to do rappelling and like you know some of the rock climbing stuff uh, i went to airborne school <laughs> as my <laughs> you know summer detail um and just seeing the ability to push through or push past what you think in your brain you can't do, like physically can't do, um, was just a huge transformation point for me while I was at West Point. Um, and so I remember when we were doing the rappelling, and it wasn't like we were on, you know, a huge you know, mountain or anything, but still that was way higher than I had, <laughs> would have liked to gone or had ever gone. And so even like rappelling and, you know, whether you're being yelled at or not at the time, but someone believing that you could do this and not, you know, perish at the end of the, at the end of the rope um, was incredibly kind of freeing and eye-opening for me that I can do, I'm limiting myself. Like nobody's limiting me. I'm limiting myself. Uh, and so then kind of that was like the initial stage was, okay, I can do this. Wow. Like I'm still kind of scared of heights in my mind, but I was able to do this thing. And then when I went to airborne school and you know, you have the ground week, tower week, jump week, you know, it gets higher and higher each, each week. And I remember standing, you know, in the doorway for the, you know, standby go and, you know, jump out of the, the door. Uh, like, and you just look down or you look out, you look down and you're like, oh my gosh. Like, it was just this elation, euphoria. I, I can't even describe like the, the accuracy of what I, what I experienced in that moment. But from, like a year prior, two years prior, not being able to, or a couple years prior, not being able to walk up past the fourth bleacher to being, you know, thousands of feet in the air, 
about to exit an aircraft <laughs> and potentially, you know, perish at the bottom, but, you know, thankfully not. Uh, it, it just, I, I don't know, it's, it's like an indescribable, like, transformation or growth personally that I had from where I kind of entered West Point to West Point, essentially forcing me to move past my own limitations in some regard of what I had inside of me that I you know I am tougher I do have grit tenacity things are going to get hard but you can do them you don't have to shy away from things that in your mind you think you can't achieve or accomplish or push through and so that has been like a, a lifelong thing that I've taken lesson um, that I've taken experience that I've taken from West Point um, that's like very practical it's, it started with like height in air, you know, repelling an airborne school and has moved well beyond that to kind of permeates every facet of my life. This, there's stuff that's going to suck. There's stuff that is going to be experiences you're going to have that are going to be super challenging, feel like they're insurmountable. But who's saying that it's insurmountable? Like, who, who's, who's the keeper there? And it's me. And so, therefore, I can push past it um, with some, you know, sometimes it's mental gymnastics that I have to do. But the, the key here is that I'm not tapping out, right? Like, I can push through and try to get to the other side. Um, so that's something that I, I absolutely like, learned, took from West Point experience. So two questions just to follow on with that. Which was harder, the 10 meter um, from swimming? Yeah. <laughs> or airborne? Oh, that is funny. Oh, gosh. Yeah, great. That's an interesting question. I'll say airborne school was harder because it was so long <laughs> like it's like <laughs> pain that didn't like when is the ending here like there's so many weeks of this whereas the you know 10 meter was a, a split second in time granted there was that build-up right that you had <laughs> and then then like the exit off of it um but that was a finite you know this is in it's not going to take longer than you know 60 seconds for the whole thing to be complete <laughs> whereas airborne it's like oh gosh and then there's this week and then there's the following weeks so i'd say airborne was was harder <laughs> and i wasn't there's no possibility of, like really breaking your leg or you know getting injured off of that diving board <laughs> where has uh, you know airborne could be hit or miss if you don't follow the training <laughs> I, I think that was like a two maybe three second drop that is one of yeah. the longest jumps i've ever made in my life <laughs> right Right, exactly. <laughs> the longest two seconds of my entire existence. <laughs> and the second one is, how much did it help um, having people your age, your peers going through it to your left and your right while you were going through these things? Yeah, that's, yes. So I think having other teenagers <laughs> or young 20-somethings, <laughs> right, who are also experiencing the same challenges, fears, emotions. Um, yeah, you know, sometimes we went back into the room and cried, right? Like, it's just like, this was this my life? Like, what am I doing? Especially during Beast. Like, Beast was just a whole other, uh, you know, like mental shock. Um, but so there are times when you're, you have people in right alongside of you who are experiencing similar or the same thing, who are going through the exact same training. Uh, and then you can encourage and support one another give each other feedback like haze each other you know not in a negative way but give you know, bolster each other's confidence uh, or correction you know if, if needed uh, and so that has been 
an amazing part of the, the, the post-West Point experience are the, the lifelong friendships. It's really family at this point. There's classmates as well as folks on kind of the bordering classes to us that were in my wedding or that, you know, I've visited, you know, were there right after my daughter was born, that um, I was there in their wedding, you know, just like lifelong friendships, family ships that were created from the West Point experience that I'm not, you know, I'm actually not convinced that you can get at a, a traditional college. Yes, you have college friends, but I think the level of connectedness and the intertwining of challenging experiences and uh, of just like the pressure, the stress, even the learnings that you have at West Point about yourself, about leadership, about working with different people who are different than you, that's, that's, these are things that you take well beyond um, going to, you know, to West Point itself. Uh, so there's like the, the core family ships that I've had from the experience, then from a broader class or West Point community experience, there's that, that network, um, I, you can't put a price tag on the West Point network, honestly. I've had folks that I've reached out to, don't know, just know they're, you know, West Point grad, male, female, doesn't matter. I reached out to that have offered to help, that have offered to make a connection with someone else that have, you know, just, again, gotten tickets <laughs> for, for a random thing for. Uh, and then on the reverse, there's been West Pointers from all classes, you know, that find me on LinkedIn who see, I, you know, I was recruiting or been at West Point, or sorry, that West Point grad has been at Amazon for. Um, a while who reach out with questions and want to just have you know a quick conversation or an email exchange or can you refer me to a job or whatever it is uh, and that kind of network from a place of I know what you you're legit I know what you went through to come out on that side the other side successfully you're now part of this community that only you know the people who graduate from here um, are a part of and so it's a it's a really interesting and special kind of network again like internal to our class but also mm -hmm. the larger West Point um, you know graduate community um, so yeah so it's been having people who similar age go through these trials and tribulations <laughs> as well as friendships successes triumphs wins right like it's not all misery um, has been great and then to follow you know this core group through life's transitions and loss and um you know celebrations and sadness and what's my next step in life who am i like to have people who were there with you you know from 17 18 you know 19 20 years old to now you know in our 40s is just like again it's, a, it's for me it's like a family ship as, as opposed to just like a friendship so as west point comes towards an end um what kind of guided your decision for both branch and post choice yeah, I think, um, so I'll start with post-choice. So I selected Fort Hood because I knew people that were, <laughs> that were there. <laughs> and there were West Pointers who were in classes ahead of me who kind of had vetted Fort Hood and here's where you need to live, there's some great units, you know, here's where I, blah, 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 just kind of giving you the intel on the post. And so that was the main driver for Fort Hood out of, so AG doesn't have all these glamorous, you know, options it's a very small branch uh, and it doesn't have a, a there's not a ton of openings um, 
when, that we were presented, you know, and it was post night as well as branch night. And so I picked Fort Hood and literally I think there's the top three, Fort Hood was going to go in the top three and I think there were two slots. And so we were negotiating, or I was negotiating with our classmates like, okay, look, 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 I want to go to Hood. Are you going to pick Hood? Because you're ahead of me. Like I was number three and there were two people <laughs> ahead of me. And one of them was like, I'm going to pick Hood. I'm like, oh my God. So there's only one spot left. And the other one's like, oh no, I'm going to pick, you know, wherever. I can't remember where she, um, she had family elsewhere. So she was going to pick elsewhere. I was like, okay, I think I'm safe. I think I'm safe. So we were like negotiating that because there was there weren't a lot of options um, or many. There, there weren't a lot of options. And then there weren't, um, you know, 10 options <laughs> at Fort Hood. Uh, so there were two. Uh, and so, but I knew, I knew other friends who had become friends, you know, class, uh, they weren't classmates, they were ahead of us who were at Fort Hood. One of the, the mentors who I had found through my parents, you know, relationship at West Point was also at Fort Hood. So she became like a, a my Fort Hood mom, so to speak, uh, she was, you know, my parents' cohort or peers. Um, so she was there. And so like, I, I felt like I, I wasn't going to a place where I didn't know anybody, I had an established network, so to speak. I had a support system um, that I could, if something did happen or I needed help or, you know, I was feeling homesick, there were people there that I that I knew. So that's why I chose Fort Hood. Um, AG, after, you know, going through the different branches, um, that one resonated, me, resonated with me because it was like the personnel, it was helping people, it was um, still, you know, critical to the mission, but I wasn't, you know, in air defense artillery like I, I just that didn't jazz me up as much as doing something more um, that helped people in a different way so like the back office stuff I was like oh I think I would be good at that I'm very organized I'm very analytical this seems like it could be a fit uh, for me based on kind of the, the my understanding of all the branches um, and so AG just felt like a natural fit I also looked at finance a little bit but then I was like yeah I think they really only do like Hey, issues. That's what, again, these are assumptions that you make at 21 years old. Uh, so I was like, yeah, I'm not. Uh, let's see what AG does. Um, and then, you know, I picked AG and, what, you know, I, I found my niche. It was, it had a variety enough of assignments with, you know, you can be a platoon leader, like a, a actual platoon leader for the postal platoon, which I was. You can do more kind of staff with S1 G1. You can do a MET station, which is very different as well. So there was a diversity of experiences or tracks you could have once you did branch AG, which I was like, okay, I'm not going to be pigeonholed into one job for the rest of my military, or however long I stayed in the military for my military career. I, I had options or different experiences within AG that I could that I could cycle through. Now, did you have a similar like career goal, similar to what you saw with your, your father, to come back to West Point, to teach at West Point? Or was was your goal in the military a little bit different when you came in? Yeah, his goal for me was I was gonna, I was going to be like a replica, which was not <laughs> well, it's not my calling. Uh, my goal for me was uh, I'm going to give it a whirl. I'm going to you know obviously do my commitment, my obligation. Um, anything beyond that is like I am so jazzed about the space or my being an AG officer, my next assignment. Um, but I was going to do five years, obviously, but I anything beyond that would be dependent upon what that next assignment is or what the future looked like um, for myself in the AG Corps. Um, so I did six years. <laughs> that was it. <laughs> so no, I was not a, uh, I'm in this till I, 
you know, for, for 30 years or, you know, whatever rank. I was, it was after five years, it's one day at a time. <laughs> so that's, that's how that went. <laughs> so what was that service? What was uh, your service like? Yeah, the highs I was, and lows? Yeah, I would say the, I like to focus on the positive experience because there okay. were, there were some, you know, like, and a lot of females honestly do have like traumatic experiences depending on the type of unit they're assigned to. So there were some like not good um, times at during the my military service. But the good times, uh, I like to to kind of prioritize. Oh, honestly, Joe, I like to approach my life as bad stuff is going to happen. Sometimes it's preventable. Sometimes it's not. Uh, but what can we take that's good from whatever? What can you learn or let's prioritize the good so that I stay in a, a healthy you know, mental space, honestly. Um, so the good times, the things I like, ch- still chuckle about uh, <laughs> from my time in the military was being that postal platoon leader. Uh, so it was 151 Postal Platoon uh, out of Fort Hood, Texas. And this was obviously when we got there in you know, 2001, uh, or after whatever schools people went to, maybe it was 2002, we were kind of coming up on a deployment, deployment on, deployment off, like that seemed to be the model at Fort Hood. Uh, and so the team that I led, I think the first platoon like was getting ready to deploy or like down the line, my de- uh, platoon wasn't on deck yet. And uh, the company, when I joined it, it was such a scrappy, my interpretation, was a very scrappy uh, <laughs> unit, a scrappy company, uh, very like tight knit. There was a lot of camaraderie. There was some, you know, some mischievous or some riffraff <laughs> going on as well. Uh, and these are like AG soldiers, so it was it was such an interesting um, uh, dynamic when I when I took over. My uh, commander, who she actually wrote one of my business school recommendations, so she is an internal like I'm eternally grateful for her. She, I learned a ton from her, but she, you know, had this long hair that she you know, had in a bun, and she, I, in my opinion, she was a chain smoker, so she always had, like, was on a smoke break outside at Fort Hood with, like, this Newport or whatever she was smoking between her fingers, and, you, you know what, Lieutenant Sales, I'm just like, oh my gosh, like, this is so different than West Point, uh, but it was, it was such a good, like, good experience for me, um, but she had, like, been deployed before, or, like, she just was a super interesting, very smart like from a strategic and tactical perspective, um, like kind of taught me to, to you know, speak up, to voice your opinion. Sure, you know, the, the military construct is one of like conformity in general, right? Like we're all kind of moving in the same direction. But, you know, she really did push us. If something doesn't seem right, speak up, like investigate, like peel back the layer. So I always, and that's a lesson I will always take from, from her. Um, but the unit itself, my platoon, we were second platoon, and oh, this is one of these you know, like pivotal leadership experiences <laughs> that you have from that I had uh, in the army, where you know calls in the middle of the night, soldiers arrested or in jail, and you know platoon sergeant calling you all hours uh, for whatever's happening. There was like domestic violence issues. I became like a marriage counselor <laughs> during my time as a platoon leader. There were you know folks we had to help get up to performance. You know, are we going to chapter them out? Um, lost a soldier like there was just so much in that experience that stretched me in like a variety of directions um, from a growth perspective from an emotional perspective from a leadership perspective it was just such a 
like a, a rich looking back, of course, like going through it sometimes I wanted to bang my head on the wall, but looking back, it was a really rich experience that gave me exposure to a lot uh, throughout that time as a, as a platoon leader. And we also went to the field, like my commander, like love raising her hand and getting us out to the field. As AG, my assumption was we would go to the field like once a year, <laughs> like the annual FTX, but she liked to go out <laughs> far more often to different, like a mount site. I'm like, why are we at a mount site? We're like, AG, like what's happening? So we were doing all sorts of stuff. She wanted us to be like, you know, not, not like the stereotypical, you know, AG folks. We were, we were highly trained. We were tactical. We had like the military, the arms training, all of the, that stuff. Um, but also we're good at our, you know, our proficiency as postal, as a postal company. And, and in my case, a postal platoon. Um, but that experience, it was just, it was fun. It was, Shocking. <laughs> it was just full of learning. And uh, what's funny is I still keep in touch. There's a handful, not all of them, but there's a handful of soldiers that I had from second platoon that I still you know, periodically keep in touch with, you know, via social media usually. One, uh, probably a handful of years ago, we were in the same city at the same time and we were like, hey, let's have lunch. And it was just crazy. You know, it's like 20 years later and it's just crazy. So it, but that relationship and that ex- initial experience as like a leader in the army um, definitely kind of <laughs> gave me my leadership chops <laughs> moving forward. Uh, it was it was wild, but it was um, it was a really really it's probably one of my funnest uh, assignments. Uh, that was one, and then I'll briefly share the second one, um, which was working at the the Raleigh Meps station, and that was my first experience with military leaders outside of the army so my boss was air force and by the way he left at three o'clock every day true story (laughs) Um, my colleague my uh, direct peer was a navy lieutenant so an 03 navy and so it was just interesting to see the different personalities and or kind of stereotypes we put on other branches uh, come to life as well as really understand the you know recruiting process for the military, right? So there was very ethical recruiters, but there's unsavory recruiters and like interacting with the recruiters um, because they had offices in the MEPS as well, having all these brand new and of all ages, whether they're right out of high school or someone who's in their thirties, sign up to join the military and, you know, test them. They have a medical evaluation and then like understanding or hearing why they are joining at this point in their life uh, and what the motivations or incentives are that lead them to this this place, this point. And then we, I did the oath, you know, the swear-in ceremony and then having family members there and having, you know, sometimes parents get teary-eyed or emotional that their son or daughter is going to be shipped out in a couple days to whatever basic training and them asking me questions as like the advisor of their, it's, it was just so interesting to participate in like seeing the next gen of soldiers across the branches come in through, you know, this MEP station um, and, you know, where, where they're going next and dealing with all that is involved with with having a soldier enlist in, in the military. So that was a really um, interesting experience in my only kind of quote-unquote joint um, or remotely joint uh, assignment where, where it's multiple kind of branches of the military working together. Um, what I also liked about this role is because it, it was my easy, honestly, it was like the easiest from a job function or even like a brain function uh, job that I had in the, in the military, uh, in the Army. But... Uh, with that came flexibility. So I was super efficient. I could get all my work done in like half a day and then just do the swearing ceremony um, when the swearing ceremony schedule was. 
but in between times, I was able to study for the GMAT, kind of talk through different, again, I mentioned some West Pointers who helped me, kind of coached me with the business school application process, interview process, so have those meetings and practice writing essays and submit my applications and all of that. So that, that last assignment, that was my last assignment, gave me the space to help my, with my transition out of the Army and into you know, kind of business school and beyond. Um, so I'm very thankful for, for that assignment. One, one quick question or one statement. It's, it's unique about the military and the Army, specifically the Army, how you get to experience life with people without filters. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Whether it's the soldier at his worst moment uh, with a DUI or, um, and you're picking them up or with uh, uh, a negative a- incident back at the house um, or mm-hmm. a death in the family. There's very few jobs in the world where you have the opportunity to experience life with someone after that moment, during that moment, and then try to pick up the pieces afterwards. Very true. And it, it grows a certain amount of empathy and it grows a certain amount of uh, understanding of, man, my experience is not the same as everybody else. Yeah. And I'm very lucky to have some of the positive things in my life that um, these people may not have had when they grew up. Mm-hmm. Very true. So let's let's talk through the transition. Uh, you're talking about getting your GMAT. Where were you going after you got out of the military? Yeah, so it's, it's interesting because in my mind, I had, uh, I was, okay, I'm just going to enter the workforce. And so I had had conversations with Lucas Group and Cameron Brooks and I, I'm forgetting the, the third, but there was three kind of um, job certs or JMO firms that I had been working with to try to figure out what I want to do, where I want to go, what was my next job. And I, I honestly didn't feel comfortable um, not, not with the people in the company, you, you know, that were helping me, but I just didn't feel like I knew and I didn't want to commit to a job, a company, and not feel self-assured or reassured that this was the right you know, decision for me. Um, I didn't, that, that transition from active duty, you know, army to quote unquote the civilian world or civilian life is super important uh, in my mind. And you don't want to, I didn't want to be like a, oh, I got it wrong, let me job hop. Oh, I got it wrong again, let me job hop. Like I'm just trying to figure out what I want to do and hopping around. Like that is a very uncomfortable space for me to be in. So in talking to some of the, the West Point grads that I previously mentioned, um, they were like, well, let's go to business. You know, have you thought about business school? Um, it's kind of a, not a catch-all, but it gives you a foundation. It's not, it's not a niche where you're going to get a master's in electrical engineering, right? That's a very specific um, skill set, a very specific kind of job market for that degree or for that level of skill. Um, an MBA is, is broader uh, and allows for um, you to enter into any, really, any industry, any sector, kind of it, it gives you a, a pass to experience a variety of, of different job uh, functions or job roles, functional areas. And so uh, I started pursuing the, thinking about the MBA space and where I want to go to school and then having these conversations and then being at the Raleigh Mets, which allowed me to, to the time to do kind of that research, due diligence, study, practice, get my resume together, all that, apply, essay writing. Um, so then I applied to uh, five business schools and um, they were kind of, they were all in like the top, my goal was like the top 10 business schools. Um, I wanted to kind of stay where 
any school I went to wasn't just regionally known. It was like not worldwide necessarily, but it was well known across the U.S. Like West Point, like people when they see West Point, they're like, wow, we know about this crazy institution that you graduated from. We've heard about it, at least, you know, at minimum, they, they have an opinion about it. So it's well known, especially employers. There's a lot of kind of street cred that comes with being an academy grad. Uh, and so I wanted the same thing from a business school. I didn't want to necessarily just kind of check the box and go to the, the cheapest one or whoever gave me money. I wanted to, let's be thoughtful. Let's kind of, you've done a lot of hard work at West Point and beyond. Let's kind of keep that trajectory of, you know, top ranked program. And so I looked at some of the top 10. I did a, a lot of school visits. And, um, you know, I'm very blessed to say I got into every single school that I applied to um, and had a few full rides. I didn't get all full rides. I'm not that, I'm not that great. <laughs> I'm not that special. <laughs> but I, I did get some yeah. money. <laughs> so uh, I landed. And so I did all the admitted students weekends and kind of met with the faculty, you know, you know, they put on a horse and pony show essentially for the admitted students. And so I met with some current students. Um, I consulted my, what I had thought it was my like a little advisory council of like West Point grads with MBAs <laughs> to ask for their kind of feedback and, and guidance. I, in true to fashion, I made this spreadsheet, the schools and like all these columns uh, essentially of what the, I thought they had to offer and had weighted averages and blah, 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 blah. Um, so I ended up at uh, Harvard Business School, and I said the reason I, I chose that school as, uh, and not any of the other you know, four programs, um, when I went, to, it was just a different feeling when I went to the Admitted Students Weekend and heard about like the curriculum, the discussions, we got to sit in the classroom, and it was, I, I was like, oh my, you know how the, the saying, you don't, you know, if you're the smartest person in the room, you know, find a new room or something to that effect. I was nowhere near the smartest person in the room. <laughs> and so I was like, this is the room I need to be in because I need to be around people like this. <laughs> because I like it's like a foreign language because there were business terms that I wasn't accustomed to. I grew up as an army brat and that, you know, around West Point and other military bases and then went to West Point and then was in the army. So my view of the world was very narrow. And so sitting into these convert in Experiencing sitting in in a classroom with conversations from students literally from all over the world, a variety of financial, um, uh, uh, what's the word, <laughs> financial, um, <laughs> some, I'm trying to, some were super rich, <laughs> I'm trying to say it in a different way, and some were, yeah, the financial background, so some had a lot of wealth, and others were like essentially... <laughs> us, you know, coming from the military, you know, kind of were scrappy, made whatever we made. Uh, and it was just like, I mean, we're all these students were all together having this rich discussion and debating and in a very respectful way and just learning, like it just felt like, um, like I want to be in this environment, you know, and, and the, the case method like originated at Harvard, it's um, unique. There's other programs now that have, ado have adopted the, the case method as well, but it's just a completely different way of learning than the traditional instruction that you you get from higher level institutions of learning, right? And so for me, it was like, this is totally different than anything I've experienced. These people seem really smart. And um, granted, I'm gonna have to like sell a kidney to go here <laughs> because they didn't wanna get, they don't give, Harvard says they don't give out um, any 
like academic scholarships because you know everyone who gets in obviously deserves to be there. So who are we to like apply money to someone for being smarter than the other, you know, than the next? Which okay, great, I get it. Uh, but they did give need-based financial aid, and I qualified <laughs> with my you know military captain's salary of getting need-based financial aid. So I got something, uh, but you know I still had took out a, a significant amount of loans. Uh, but but anyway, so that's why I selected uh, HBS and uh, just the, the the feeling that I got that I didn't necessarily get at some of the other other uh, programs that I visited, and that was the it was an interesting. I struggled so being like fully transparent that first semester I called my mom. I called my mom crying, which is a theme apparently in like academic institutions for me that first year. Uh, and I was like, I'm about to flunk out of Harvard. And she's like, You are not going to flunk out. What What are your challenges? Essentially, helped me drill down to what I was struggling with. So the case method is an incredible way to learn, but you have to be like ready to learn in that way and. I wasn't coming from academia, I was coming from active duty. And so I had to like, it was like I had to reprogram my brain to be able to receive information, digest it, and contribute to the discussion in the way that was meaningful to the learning environment I was in. And I struggled the first few months. I was like, I am just not getting it. I was like scared to speak up. I didn't like, I just, I just hadn't found my footing or my confidence. Uh, and then I started meeting with, similar to AI, right, like additional instruction at West Point. I started going to additional instruction. I think it's called something else. I can't remember. Um, but I started going, seeing some of the professors to get you know, coaching feedback, help. Uh, and then, like, from the second semester, first year onward, it's a two-year program. Like, I blossomed. I really came into into my own. Um, but I did. Like, I, I, was, I, was, I felt like I was failing, which is not a comfortable place for, I think, anyone, you know, that went to West Point to be in. But I felt like I was just flapping my arms and not going anywhere for a, what felt like a long period of time, but um, kind of just had to redirect that energy and my approach and strategy. And again, it's okay to ask for help and get the help um, that I needed and then was able to be successful thereafter. So, so you graduate. What kind of drove your decision on where to go next? So I went, um, I had thought in my mind um, that I, you know what, let's do, let's try consulting. A lot of folks do try consulting. It's a night you can get exposure to a variety of industries. So I did a consulting internship. Um, I actually was on like an, uh, it was in Houston, and we actually went to like an oil refinery, which was super interesting. So it gave me elements of the army because it was very like scrappy, like male dominated, quite frankly. And like it's like a manufacturing, but it's an oil refinery. So like the some abrasive personalities. I had on my jumpsuit and my steel-toed boots, and I, um, you know, went to the consulting gig every day. Uh, and I actually did. I did like that environment. It felt familiar uh, in a different way, of course, but it, it did. Like the, the culture felt familiar. Um, but at the end of the summer, we put together the slide deck and we had all these recommendations. And I'm like, well, what happens now? You know, so do we come back? Like, well, I wouldn't because I had so much school, but, you know, do you come back and implement or do we do this? Like, what are the next steps? And um, my supervisor, my boss for the summer, who uh, I believe was a, a partner or senior manager, whatever the title was at the consulting firm, was like, no, like we get paid and they either take our advice or not. If they want to implement, they can hire us back or hire someone else. Like there was just very, there was no closure. <laughs> like, it was like, I was like, wait a minute. So we did all this work for hundreds of hours, potentially thousands of hours. And like they either take it or not. Like there's no like prize or reward or in-state or outcome. And they're like, no, it's consulting. Like you consult and then they do whatever. 
And so for me, I was like, I can't do this. Like, I need something at the end, right? Like, I need to know if we're winning. I need to know how we're doing. I need something at the end of the day or the week or whatever the measurement of time is to, like, I need some closure. And it wasn't with consulting. <laughs> so I pivoted completely after that summer, that first year summer internship. And I was like, okay, I need to do, like, let's reset and you know, start talking to other companies and seeing... Uh, I had a career coach, so there was a career coach um, is offered at HBS, so I was working with my career coach, um, and we would meet regularly to kind of talk through what are my passions, what am I looking to learn, you know, going through that mental exercise, uh, and then I was like, you know what, and he kind of helped me draw the conclusion, like meander my way back to the people leadership piece and the, um, like the hands-on piece, right? And so then I was like, okay, well, let me start looking at leadership development programs. And so um, I ended up landing at McMaster Car Supply Company, which is essentially an OEM supplier. Uh, they compete. They're, I don't know if they're privately held anymore, but they were privately held, family-owned for like 100 years, wildly successful. Um, they had uh, their base out of like Illinois, and they had offices in like New Jersey, Atlanta. I went to the Atlanta branch. So they have a leadership development rotation program where you do a stint in marketing, you do a stint in the warehouse operations, you do a stint, a stint in sales. You do, so essentially, you just rotate around and learn all the aspects of the building or, or the business, and then kind of progress as you go up the uh, you progress up the chain as you go through the different functional areas. So I joined McMaster Car, and I had a team, so that was great. So I kind of could experience the the leadership piece, the team element piece that I you know really loved while I was in the army. Uh, without some of the things that you that we previously talked about about and it was it's interesting you don't get calls ever you know after hours you don't you know people's personal lives they don't really share that much so it was it was interesting dynamic um so then I did that for a couple of years and I rotated through marketing I went through sales I went through the warehouse uh, and then I you know got recruited away to go to Amazon operations, which is, and I've been at Amazon, you know, since the August of 2011, which is wild to say, because it seems like a lifetime at this point. They were <laughs> but like, that's how I landed. There were like 80,000 people at that point, 87,000 people when they were, they pulled you over. Why'd you yeah. make the jump? I mean, uh, you're with an established company. Mm -hmm. uh, they invest a lot of time and money, in, or a lot of time and effort into you. Mm -hmm. um, what was the draw of Amazon? Yeah, and McMaster Car is a great company. Um, it really is. Uh, the people are, they have long-standing employees. Like, I've been there like 50 years, you know, 40 years, 30 years, like long-standing employees. It's just, uh, the Atlanta branch in particular was just such a, um, it, was, it was a refreshing place to work. My challenge was, I'm like fresh out of business school, and I had, you know, came from the military, coming with this like, okay, I can have my own ideas, like I can be creative, because there's like limited creativity for being real, like in the army, right? Like you kind of give a mission, you can have, pull certain levers to put your spin or your vision on it, but like the mission's the mission. So on the business side, like you, like I came from business school, there's all these ideas I had, there's process improvements I wanted to, to implement, there's experiments I wanted to run. So I was so excited and enthusiastic to try these things and, <laughs> Uh, one of the presidents of the company was like, you know, we're so glad you're on the team. You have a lot of great ideas, but essentially what I'm failing to realize is that this is like a hundred year old established comp company. Our model works. <laughs> and 
So <laughs> it kind of like popped my balloon or took the wind out of my sails. And I'm like, okay. He's like, you know, we can find and, you know, fine tune and implement and make incremental, essentially like teeny tiny minutia levels of change, you know, just to experiment and see if we have any productivity improvements. Uh, but that's not the opera. Like we are not an innovative company. We are a quick sale OEM supply company and we've done it for a hundred years. I'm like, got it. And so over time, that wore on me, honestly, it kind of began to drain my motivation because I knew if I found, and there were lots of process improvement opportunities, <laughs> mind you, that my idea would have, it would go nowhere. Sure, they'd listen to me and, you know, I'd have a plan, but then like that would be it, you know. And so that just became um, demoralizing, it's a little dramatic, but it did, it did like, I lost motivation and my excitement to come in every day. And so I, and I, and I need to have fulfillment in my work. I, I Fulfillment in my life, but I have to have fulfillment in my work. Some people can just have fulfillment outside of work and it doesn't matter what they do. I can't. I have to have a balance of both. I have to enjoy and feel like I'm contributing and passionate about what I'm doing. Uh, and I no longer was, honestly. And so I went to the SAC conference in DC while I was in Atlanta. And I was, you know, some of the Amazon recruiter had reached out to me, you know, I previously. And I'm like, oh, I'm going to be at the SAC conference. Like, okay, can you interview? And I'm like, uh, okay. <laughs> so I was like, let's just see what happens. That whole philosophy, like, well, you know, who am I to be a barrier? Let's see what happens, right? Like, let's see where it goes. So I interviewed. And then next thing I knew, like three days later, I had a job offer in my inbox. And I'm like, oh, okay, <laughs> like, this happened. All right. And um, it was for Tennessee. And so I turned it down. I said, no, the only place I'm looking to relocate to is the D.C. area because that's where my family was. Um, and I'd been away for so long at various other, you know, duty stations, deployment, what have you. It's like, if I'm going to move, I'm going to go back, you know, and be closer to my parents. And um, so I declined the offer. They came back and then the there was a strong Virginia operations manager opening that opened up. And I was like, okay, well. Laura, I guess I'm going. And so I transitioned from McMaster Car to, uh, to Amazon because of Amazon. So they're like two opposite ends of the spectrum. You have McMaster Car, well-established, 100-year-old company, family-run, you know, multi-billion dollar company. Let's say zero innovation. That's not fair. We'll say 1% innovation. <laughs> and then you have, uh, at least while I was there, no idea what the company's doing now, but that's what it felt like when I was there. And you have Amazon, who's like, growing in an exponential rate, hiring like crazy, um, getting into different, you know, at that point it was only fulfillment. There weren't, there weren't sort centers or delivery stations or Amazon Air for that matter. Uh, it was fulfillment, but the fulfillment network was growing um, a lot. They were starting to branch into other business lines. And um, one of my mentors from Amazon used to say, Amazon is like, trying to build a plane while it's already in the air, right? Like, so it's like, we're in the air, everyone. All right, now we need to duct tape this on. We need to, you know, make sure we have a wheel to land. So it's, and, and I, that is my experience there as well. So it was complete opposite where you have to have innovation and creativity and you have to speak up with your ideas. You have to improve your area. You have to be moving a very fast pace. And so that was appealing to me. All right, I get to essentially do all the things I, I wanted to do, but necessarily didn't have the, the permission or the, the space to do so at Amazon with the expectation, this is the expectation, right? So it's not like a nice to have, like this is the expectation. And so I pivoted to Amazon operations. Um, and it was, it, it, it's such an interesting place, Joe. And I could talk for hours about Amazon um, just because of my, my time that I've spent there. But it's such an interesting place um, 
where they hire really smart people. So similar to that kind of Harvard experience where I'm like, I need to be in this room because I'm going to be elevated, right? I'm going to learn. That's how I felt and still feel at, at Amazon where it's, they hire really, really smart people to do like things that no other company has done, right? And, and it's just, and then the pace at which we execute and it doesn't have to be a full baked solution. It could be 70%. We're going to go with it, right? And it's just, it's for me, especially with the military background and your plan and your check, check, recheck, oh, like it's just like, wow, this is, y'all are insane. But it's amazing and it's exhilarating. It's not for everybody. But for me, it's, it's, it's an exhilarating experience to like be a part of that, contribute to that, have idea. I've had ideas that were rolled out like when I was in ops that were rolled out across the entire sites, like all of the sites, right? Because of a process improvement that I did with my team. It's just wild that you have that even and I'm nobody's you know vice president of anything at Amazon <laughs> but even at you know all levels your idea counts right and that's even though the company's huge now with you know to your point you know over a million employees and you know inching up to two million it, your feedback your no idea is a bad you know what I mean is just because you're an associate or just because you're a packer or you're an ops manager you're, you don't have you know enough clout to bring an idea yes you do <laughs> you know you're yeah, that's where the best ideas come from or the people who are in it uh, and so that was just exhilarating for me uh, it's also was exhausting if i'm being transparent <laughs> but it is it was uh, exhilarating so I had a lot of good opportunities um initially when i joined amazon i was acting site leader for like six months which was amazing uh, and super challenging at the same time uh, but yeah, so it's it's been that's why I pivoted over. That's my long-winded answer. <laughs> Say why I pivoted over to to Amazon was because of the the expectation that you're going to contribute and that you're going to come up with better a better way. Our way is not the best way, or the current way is not the best way. You're going to come up with a better way, and that just that was just very uh, inspiring to me. So you've got an MBA, you've got experience with McMaster Car, you've got experience as an operations manager with Amazon, and you pivot back to HR, which is similar to AG, but not the same as AG. Talk me right. through that. Yeah, um, a couple things. So the I did love my time uh, as an operator at Amazon. Like, absolutely, it was one of the best experiences professionally um, that I've had with, like, the amount of growth, similar to, like, the tremendous growth I've had, I had while I was on active duty. Um, and so Amazon operations, lots of growth. Uh, the pace is tough. And um, over time, and there's folks who can do it, and I just wasn't, <laughs> I wasn't one of them who wanted to invest my entire career as, a, uh, as an on the floor, essentially a building leader. Um, that just, it just wasn't, that, that didn't excite me. Um, and so at the time I was an operator, I went to recruiting events, Amazon recruits on campus. One of the target schools is Harvard Business School. So I would go as, hey, I'm an operator. I graduated from this program. So I was like a, a business liaison, essentially. And then I also attended a lot of um, military service uh, job fairs. So Mojo, the SAC conference, you name it, I've been to it. Uh, while I was still in operations, it was like an additional duty uh, to attend these other things. And um, the person who was like running the North America Pathways program, it's like, you're great with these candidates. Like, you should get really impassioned about this topic and da 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 da, you know, kind of telling me that I could be a fit for, for this job space or this functional area. 
And she's like, I'm moving to a new role within Amazon. Like, you should be my backfill. And I was like, ah, silly you. I'm an operator, not an HR person, you know? <laughs> like, that was like my <laughs> approach. And um, she's like, yeah, look, we're, I'm literally, we're going to interview in a few weeks. Um, and then she had kind of been, she's actually one of my mentors now, but she had been kind of pestering me, for lack of a better word, in a very kind and thoughtful way. But she had been encouraging me to just apply. Again, like that whole barrier. Just let's see where it goes, right? Like, who am I to block myself? Let's see where it goes. This is completely like what I think is outside of my wheelhouse, but let's give it a whirl. And one of my mentors um, at Amazon had said, Tere, you can always come back to operations. So like, don't let that be your blocker. See what happens with the interview process. See what happens with the role. If you hate it, you know, you can always pivot back to operations. Like operations is like a, what we call a two-way door, right? Like you can come in, you can come out. Um, and so I, I interviewed and pivoted over to recruiting and it was a very different experience from AG, very different experience from any of my other like professional experiences uh, initially. But what wasn't different, so it was like the, the functional role itself is different, but what elements that were the same are you're expected to improve your area, right? Um, you also have a connection to people, which is important. So I, I had a very small team. I didn't have hundreds of associates in a building, but uh, I did have a small team and then more so, I had hundreds of uh, candidates, right, of potential uh, future Amazonians that I interacted with. And it was with those interactions where I really got that camaraderie piece, that meaning that's important to me, that I'm helping someone um, for the, on the talent acquisition space. I'm helping someone that is looking to transition at a pivotal point in their life or their career, and I can help them see if Amazon's the right place for them or not. Uh, and so, yes, it's, it is different from operations and the pace, you know, the day-to-day the, the -day in the building of, of operations. But some of the elements that I value from the operations space of improving your area, um, trying to find ways to streamline processes, being more efficient, and then the people aspect, had a small team, but also like a much bigger impact and much um, you know, farther reach from folks uh, external to Amazon. So I was like an, an brand ambassador to some degree um, of, of Amazon. And it you know, came synonymous with Pathways Recruiting and Teray. And so it was just a, it was a very different experience. Um, the pace was still, everything in Amazon is fast paced. Like regardless of if you're in finance, legal, <laughs> operations, HR, like it's all, we're all, we're all running. Uh, or sprinting, you know, lace up your shoes, we're all gonna go for a run. Uh, but um, it, it, it's the business cycle is different, which I appreciated, right? It's not retail. So operations is considered part of like the retail industry. So the peaks, holiday peaks, the you know prime days, like that is an intense period of time. Um, and it's different for recruiting. It's a different business cycle that honestly more aligned with kind of where I was with like my personal life and some of those. I traveled a lot, but some of the other, um, I had more time elsewhere. I wasn't didn't have to go to a building, you know, for ten hours a day every day. Uh, so it, it it was different. Like that business cadence was there was an alignment with uh, my personal life at the time. Um, but I found great meaning and still find great meaning in in my work. There are similarities um, between ops and HR and the talent acquisition. I won't say HR, the talent acquisition space and the learning and development space. Uh, at Amazon, um, but yeah, to your point, it is kind of circling back to kind of the, the where I started my career, right? As HR in the Army, uh, now I'm you know kind of at a place where I'm considered HR at Amazon, um, which is is a for me, it's 
fit. It fits nicely with what my interests are, the ability to help others uh, in a variety of different ways, and um, having that impact and fulfillment uh, that I look for to bring me joy in, at my job. Um, yeah, so I did. I guess I did come for full circle to some degree. <laughs> so as, as we're getting closer to the end, I'm going to ask one like really geeky question. You came out of Pathways, and you're now doing senior recruitment. How does that differ? Do you have to hunt more um, to find the target's opportunity, or do they come to you similar that like what you did with Pathways? Yeah, so now I'm doing, so I've left uh, recruiting. So now I'm doing um, executive onboarding. So say I partner with the executive recruiters who, who are the ones who find the top-level executive talent that, that is externally hired and joins Amazon. So I work very closely with the executive recruiters. I don't do the, the searches. What I do is when they kind of are hired, they sign their offer letter, that's when they transition them to me. So, and that's when I create um, like a learning journey for them. So here's what this person's background is. Here's the company, the industry they're coming in into. Here's the role at Amazon they're coming into. Let's create sometimes a 20 week onboarding learning development plan for them. Uh, and then I'm that person that guides them through that onboarding journey for those 20 weeks or 16 weeks, whatever it ends up being, and partners with their direct hiring manager, which is a lot of time is a vice president or someone you know super senior, um, and partners them with mentors or packages mentors and um, an onboarding buddy, a, a Amazon advisor mentor, a technical mentor, all these people around them to help facilitate their their learning you know, quickly. Maybe 20 weeks doesn't sound quick, but it goes by fast and the content is rich. Uh, so to learn quickly so that so it's like walk, crawl, run at the end of their onboarding journey, you know, this, again, 20 weeks, they should be able to transition into role. There still will be learning, obviously, down the line, on the way, you know, continuously throughout their, their time at Amazon. But they have such a solid foundation that they can be effective in running their 1.2 million square foot building that they just essentially... <laughs> Uh, transition to. Uh, and so that's what I do now. So I partner really closely with the executive recruiters who do exactly what you say, kind of tap people on the shoulder. They can court someone for like a year before they leave their current employer and join Amazon. So it's like a very long process at times. Um, so I partner with them, but my role right now is to create this content, this onboarding plan, uh, working with the key stakeholders. What's the given this person's background, what is and where they're going in Amazon, what is the right plan that will set them up for success uh, and that rich learning kind of remove some of the barriers of stress and like your, their job for the first 20 weeks is to learn and here's what you need to learn to be successful, um, which has been really, really uh, rewarding as well. So it's a different, again, like a different lens to uh HR, uh, but the, I think the same elements are there. It's like the continuous improvement, the helping others, not is this the right role for you because you've already signed on the dotted line by the time you get to me, <laughs> but more so how do we, uh, how do we train you? How, how, what's the best way for you to learn? What should you learn? Uh, how do we do those checks to make sure you're learning what you need to be learning? What other experiences can we inject in these 20 weeks that will round out this strong foundation that we we need for you to have and then it's a two-way street i get feedback like we have feedback sessions with the leaders like any gaps I, that we identify i circle with the the hiring managers and then we package all these these mentors around them so it's 
it, it's, it should be a supported journey to kind of this, at the end of this 20 weeks, now you're in role and kind of we're gonna take these training wheels off for you to, to do great things in the, in the company. And I stay with them, I stay connected, I can't say I stay with them, I stay with them for 20 weeks. I stay connected to them through their first year at Amazon, which is, it's hard, like no joke, Amazon, it can be hard to adjust to the pace, the culture, all of the things, but with this onboarding plan and this journey we, we create for someone, um, a lot of those prickly, the prickliness or the unknowns or the uncertainty um, will be smoothed out by the time they get to their their time and role that you know at the end of those 20 weeks and then through that first year um, they're still considered a part of the on their onboarding journey not the formal one but they're still on their you know kind of onboarding journey uh, and my team supports them throughout that that first year in, in varying capacities post that, that initial 20 weeks so is that equivalent of like taking a navy admiral and asking him to be an army general Oh, that's a great way to or is put it. it. Or is it, is it closer to saying like a Coast Guard admiral trying to make him an army general? I mean, because they're senior level, they've established themselves in a certain industry, but the culture, although it looks the same, isn't. You know, the culture can be wildly different, <laughs> actually. <laughs> it, like if you come from a steady state organization and you've been there for 30 Park. years, exactly, and you've been there for 30 years, and then you pivot over to Amazon as you know, a director of operations or whatever the title will be, it, we do we do things a whole heck of a lot different. And so you're exactly right. It could be that's a great analogy, Joe. I never thought of that. You, it, and and it doesn't have to be from the tech industry. It could be from manufacturing. It can be you name it. It can it doesn't have to be parallel industries, right? Um, so uh, yeah, it could be viewed as that taking you from one branch of service you've done your entire life, and then now you're going to go lead some, you know, some infantrymen, <laughs> and you've been on a ship for 30 years. So yeah, that's a great way. That's a really interesting way to put that. I love that. I'm going to steal that just so you know. <laughs> it just sounds like an amazingly cool challenge. Amazingly cool. So as we wrap up, um, what are the key takeaways from your experiences in in West Point and the military um, that you think has helped you the most the last twenty years? Yeah, I, I, I go, always go back to like that, like that self belief. Like, what barriers do I have, um, and how do I remove them? Um, you know, going back to that kind of height, scare, fear of heights example. Um, that like belief in self and mental toughness are things that I'm not sure I would have gotten at a, <laughs> maybe I would have, I don't know, but I'm not sure <laughs> that I would have gotten from a different experience other than West Point. Um, that perseverance, right? You know, when you're doing push-ups and they keep saying zero, but you still have to do them, right? Like the, like you push through, you persevere. Um, it's that mental toughness, overcoming an obstacle. You can overcome the obstacle. Sometimes you have to go back and, and do it all over again, but that's okay. The perseverance piece—that's um, absolutely um, a few things that I've that I've taken with me from the West Point experience. Both West Point and the Army would be that, like those family uh, family ships, <laughs> as well as friendships, the the broader network. Um, you, you know, you, sometimes I feel like oh, there's so many West Point grads, or so many people you know I interacted with in the Army, but in the, it, it really is small because your paths cross at varying points in your life. And even though you may not know someone super well, there's still that intersection where they're willing to help you, right? You can reach out. Um, they'll put you in contact with someone. So the, the network of people that are have experienced similar things to you 
and know where you're coming from to some degree, and they're there to, to they, they could be there to help you or to guide you, um, give you a piece of advice, whatever it is. Um, so it's like the, from the personal side, it's like the grit, mental toughness, self-belief. Um, from the broader sense, it's definitely the, you know, the friendships, the camaraderie, the lifelong familyships, relationships, uh, which in my mind are invaluable to, to essentially my life journey and experiences, the, 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 the people who have been like by me by lockstep, you know, to the entire you know, 20 years plus since, since we graduated. Um, so those would be two kind of buckets that I'll say that I took from my experiences from West Point and, and in the Army. That's awesome. Uh, again, I had a great time talking to you today, Trey. Thank you very much. Thank you. This has been so fun. I appreciate you even, you know, doing this interview with me. It's more like a conversation than an interview. I had a blast. This was awesome. All right. Hey, have a nice day. Thank you. Thanks, Joe. Take care. Thank you for listening to Through the Gray. If you like this episode, please give us five stars and follow our podcast. It helps us gain visibility and helps us share our stories.